Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a fun show lined up for you. Uh, Devere Rogers is on the show. Uh, Devere is a sweet friend of mine from the Performing Arts Project. Um, he also taught for MTCA a bit in our professional division pilot. You'll hear us talk about that in the interview. And he's just a light in every room he walks into, including this Zoom room where we recorded today. Um, today is an example of our artist exploration episodes, where we're going to look at the college process and how that carried forward into the career of some successful artists today. Um, specifically, Devere is, you know, an actor and a writer. Um, and so we kind of talking about how his college experience influenced both of his careers. We're going to try throughout these episodes, a lot of the people we have on will be actors, um, but we're going to try to show you some different career types, doing some different paths um, and possibilities with a theater education as well. Today with Devere, we talked about discovering who you are as an artist. We talked about him as a fashion icon with socks as wristbands. Um, we talked about doing the thing. We talked about changing dreams, navigating the slashes and what it is to be a multi-hyphenate artist, an actor, a writer, a producer. And we talked about being ready for the moment. Next week, we're going to have Caitlin Hopkins of Texas State on the podcast in another of our college deep dive episodes. But for now, let's get to Devere. Awesome. Well, I am here today with Devere Rogers. Uh, Devere is one of our true multi-hyphenate uh, artists that we're going to talk to. <laughs> he's an actor. He's a playwright. He's a screenwriter. He's a producer. He's a director. He is a BFA in theater from NYU Tisch. Um, as an actor, he's been in lots of theater and TV and movies, including Robert Bridegroom at a Roundabout with Alex Timbers. He was in Grey's Anatomy, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Will and Grace, a pilot called Friends-in-Law, Sherman's Showcase, a movie called My Spy with Dave Bautista, and he just finished filming an HBO pilot called OK Boomer with Patty Lapone. Uh, as a writer, Devere also has written a short film called Yin and Yang. Um, he's written an off-Broadway workshop called Excuse Me, Ladies and Gentlemen, which I got to see at TPAP when we were there. It was very great. Um, he's currently developing a, several film and TV projects with Fox 21 and FX, including Four Low. Also, as a fun fact, Devere is in every commercial that you've ever seen in the world, including a recent Super Bowl commercial and somehow every basketball game that I watch has Devere in a car just bopping along with a little hood ornament or whatever that commercial is. I cannot not see that every time. It makes me miss you every time I see it, too. Devere, how are you, man? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here with you. It's, yes. you know... You know, we got, you know, we always have that bond, you know, you bring, you bring all the good things out of me. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Well, how do we do in the bio? Anything that we missed there? Oh, no, no that's, that's, y'all covered the, all the bases. I, I was surprised. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, I did do Great. that. I did that too. Beautiful. Great. <laughs> well, Devere has so many hyphens. We're really going to start off um, as an actor as we sort of talk about the college journey with him. And then we're going to transition into all the things that make him the special artist that he is. Um, I'd love to maybe start off with... If you remember when you were like 17 years old and you're looking at colleges, so you're thinking about, I might want to go to a school for theater. I think it's back then it's specifically musical theater, right? Mm -hmm. What was some of the, what was some of the things and the goals that you were looking for in a school as you were considering maybe this school, maybe this school, if you can remember all the way back then? So honestly, my goal was when I was thinking of schools and looking at schools, my goal was that I wanted to be in a city that I felt immersed in theater, that I felt immersed in uh, sort of like the culture of theater 
working people doing it, people doing theater, uh, specifically musical theater. And so like I, at 16, 17, my first thought was always like, I want to go to New York city. You know, when you, when you're not from New York and you, and you see Broadway and you love Broadway, it's like the first thing in my mind was like, New York city, that's, I'm going to put my name in lights, you know? And so I was like, well, the highest sort of like honor is Broadway at that time. Again, at 17 was like, Broadway is the be all end all. So if I'm mm-hmm. going to do Broadway, I have to be in the city. And and again, it was very different because I had a lot of friends who were looking at a lot of different schools and that were great schools. You know, the training is great everywhere. But just me, I'm just like, I just had to be in the city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do you remember how many schools you auditioned for? Oh, so it's Charlie. I know we, we've talked about this in the past and I know mm-hmm. this isn't always the best thing to say, but I only auditioned for one school. And I would say that it's, again, I don't tell, I, every time I, I get asked this question, I always say, I'm not saying do what I did, but <laughs> again, for me, I was the type of person where I knew that I wanted to go to NYU and that was the only school that I auditioned for. Um, because also at the time too, like when I was auditioning, we had just like lost my dad. And so like, we just didn't have the money to like travel to schools to do the thing Mm -hmm. and like do all the application fees or whatever like that. So I had to be like, I'm going to NYU and I'm going to apply Mm -hmm. for it. And we're going to go, me and my mom, we went to New York, uh, for like three days. I did my audition and I was just like, this is this is this is it. This is where I'm going, you know. And and it was and it was truly. I tell people it was a leap of faith. It's something that I do say is not the smartest <laughs> thing to do, you know. But for my situation and also where I was personally, just in life and in like in mindset, I was I was very um, driven that NYU was it for me. Um, I didn't even know about. Uh, like the the unified and like I had uh-huh. no idea that that was even a thing. If I would have known that, I probably would have done that. You know, right. just to, if you just sat down with MTCA, we would have been like, "That's a risky list, Tavira. Exactly. One school is a bit risky. It's, it's a also bit risky. one of the most competitive schools. So great. But but I, but again, that's why I tell people and I and I tell people my story because I say everyone's story is different. Everyone's path is different. Everyone's journey is different. Uh, it's weird to think back on it because especially when I talk about it, especially like with you, Charlie, I'm always like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe I should have, <laughs> maybe I should have had a backup, you know, but. <laughs> I'll tell you though, we talk about sometimes that naivete is helpful. It gets you through it. You didn't know that there was no parachute. So you jumped and you no landed. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, let's talk a little bit about, so let's now phase you forward to NYU. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're, yeah. you're, I'm um, thinking about those college years. I know that's mm-hmm. such a specific educational experience, yeah. um, uh, going to that school. I'd love for you to sum it up in like a couple words. Like what was it like for you? Tell me about what your NYU experience was. Um, so my NYU experience was, um, a lot of things. I would say to sum it up in a few words, it was everything that I thought it would be, but there were so many surprises on the way that sort of informed me as an artist and as a person that I wasn't prepared for. Like, mm. I would say NYU, because it is NYU and because like the name and the prestige and the people who come from that school, you sort of go in with an idea of what the experience is going to be. And I think that's with any school, you know, especially coming in as you just graduated high school. I had this idea of what I thought school was. And it was the complete opposite, you know, like, mm. and so I think NYU was definitely a learning. Um, it was truly like a culture shock. And I truly like learned so much about myself. I learned so much about, you know, art and how and my place in it and also being confident in that. And I think NYU really fine tuned that for me. I'd love to talk maybe a little specifically because I know uh, um, Devere is alluding to the fact that we've done this before. Devere is a wonderful <laughs> interview for us, um, for our alumni division. We did an alumni division pilot uh, this winter and he gave this great um, hour to them about writing and what it's like to discover your artistry. So it's, you know, poor Devere is going to make him repeat some answers. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, I'd love to hear about that because I know that that in college you had that experience where you go, I know I still want to be an actor, but I know there's this other voice coming up inside of me. I know I want to write and create and produce and do some other things. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of when that happened, how that happened, and maybe specifically if school or the environment helped you discover 
what that second voice was, how all that happened. Yeah. So, I mean, just when you, first of all, when you're at school, especially in art school, like you're going to be surrounded by so many artists and so many different people and who do so many different things. And NYU was a school that had under the sort of umbrella of Tisch undergrad, there was like seven different studios. So there was like Adler, there was Strasbourg, there was Classical, there was Playwrights, which was like, you know, people who wanted to write and do tech. There was Cap 21, which is where I was at, which was a musical theater. So you had all these people who were doing all these different things. And while there, you can't help but be immersed in every aspect of the craft. That is what, you know, that is theater, that is acting, that is writing, that is everything. And so for me, you know, I started to hang around a lot of um, friends and be around a lot of people who were not only actors, but were also like directing and they were also writing and they were also, you know, doing the things because NYU, they have you when you're undergrad, they have you um, freshman year do like tech. They have you do writing. They have you do, they have you learn the light board. They have you do all the things so you can just sort of be immersed in it. And I had a create your own work class um, that I took. And it was sort of the first time where I was able to like truly sort of delve into my writing mind. And it's crazy because growing up, I used to write stuff all the time, but I, but I always sort of dismiss this like, oh, it's just something I do like, you know, when I'm bored or like, you know, when, when I'm just by myself and, being in this create your own work class really let me have the confidence of like, oh, I can actually do this. You know, like mm-hmm. I can actually do this writing thing. And so in school, it was probably like sophomore going into junior year. I um, started to work, write my first play, you know, mm-hmm. and it was and it was one of those things where it was so I, I was scared at first. But like as soon as I started, I ended up writing like I like through four notebooks of the play. Like my first ever play I ever wrote, y'all, was like a 270 page epic musical theater, <laughs> hip hop, spoken word, uh, singing. Like there, it was very Hamilton before Hamilton was a thing. Like it was a whole moment. And Wait, are you saying on this podcast you wrote Hamilton? That I mean, Lynn I, I pause by saying that Lynn was in the room. Just, I don't want to say that oh, out loud, no. but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Yeah, right <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> but he got the idea from you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, sure. but, but for me, it was that thing where it was like the, it opened up Pandora's box in me as a, as just an artist, because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, wow, I've been, you know, practicing and wanting to do this, this acting thing for so long and sort of like, putting this writing thing to the side and it's like, oh, I can do both. And then to have mm. teachers and and peers and friends be like, yeah, you can totally do both. Like you can do it, you know? And so I really started to lean into the, the actor writer, you know, realm. And I started off as a playwright. And then after that, I started, um, transitioning more into to film and TV, which mm-hmm. is a whole other beast in itself, you know? And if I remember correctly, that 270 page opus then turned into your first feature film. Is that true? That that yeah. eventually, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, in a different form, maybe not. Yeah, it, did, page yeah form it ended up. Yeah, it ended up turning into a feature film because uh, at at school at NYU, we actually did a reading of it. The reading was like three hours and forty five minutes. <laughs> but everyone stayed. That's not a reading. And they were like, that's a sit in. I know that's a, that's, I know it's a sit in. Um, it was. It was epic to say the least, and they had like two intermissions, and literally everyone after was like. This was so great. It's too long. And also, it needs to be a movie. <laughs> and I was like, copy, copy, copy that, copy that. Got mm-hmm. it, got it, got it. So I like, so it was It was also the first time that I like was sort of like, well, how do I make it into a movie? You know, and I sort of did, did my own research and read a lot of books and read a lot of scripts. And and that's what I, I, what I tell people is just like, you know, you don't. Like, it's great if you go to school for like the thing, but you can also learn on your own because I'm one of, I'm a self-taught writer, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't go to school for writing, but I, if, if it's something that you're passionate about, it's something that you love, read the books, read the scripts, immerse yourself in it because that's how you become good. You become good by practice and by doing it. Like, and that's, and that's sort of how I was in school where, you know, I was like, I want to do the thing because I feel like sometimes especially theater training, they get so caught up in the training that that they sort of like discourage, you know, students from doing the thing. And for uh-huh. me, I was always like, no, 
I want to do the thing. Like that's mm-hmm. how I. That's how for me. That's how I learn. Like I'm. I'm that type of learner. Like I'm an on set, on site, you know, type of person. Where that's how I'm going to pick up my my best work and also the best lessons that I learned is from doing the thing, not talking about doing the thing. <laughs> and I think, especially in theater school, there's can be such a thing of like. Who are the people who will let me do the thing? How do I get to the rooms where they'll let me do the thing? Right. You sort of spend all your time thinking about how do I allow someone to let me make my art as opposed to being yeah. like, you, you can go do it. It's, exactly. it's doable. You don't need exactly. someone to tell you it's okay. Exactly. Um, we're getting way off track because we have to play our game. We have to play our college flashback round game. Uh, oh. This is the, the exciting part of the episode where we get it's a game show element. Come on, game show. You can try to get 12 answers. In 60 seconds. Oh, 12. Believe okay. 12 is the winning amount that okay. we're trying to get. These are all about your college experience. Devere oh, from 18 to 22. Oh, God. There's 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready to play Devere? Okay, let's play. I'm ready. Favorite show you did in school? The Wild Party. Class you never used again in your life? Theater history. Worst fashion choice? Uh, socks is wristbands. <laughs> Weirdest <laughs> acting exercise you can remember? Uh... Uh, rolling on the floor. Ever possess a fake ID? Yes. Ever slept through a class? Yes. Farthest character from your age range? Uh, uh, Seth Holly and Joe Turner's Coming Gone by August Wilson. Worst audition you ever did in college? For The Color Purple, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> Nickname most likely to be called in college? Uh, the, uh, 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 loudest in the hallway. Um, what's a part you want to go back and play again? Cole House Walker Jr. in Ragtime. Class that you wish you paid more attention in. Oh, oh, we'll never get to know. Now, my musical theater heads up there, I can hear them. I hear them out there in the future asking which wild party. That's the kind of thing they want to know. Oh, I know. Um, the Lacusa. But I didn't want to waste your time mm-hmm. and ruin your game in that. Megan, yeah. I don't think we got 12 there. It was like nine. I think we got 10. Oh, 10. oh so close. Devere, so you get a runner's up prize of nothing. Um, oh, wow, wow, wow. As well, okay. Devere, I would like okay. to go back to the socks as wristbands. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Megan. Yes. Could we talk a bit more about that? I almost missed it. So it was a thing that it was a thing that started my senior year. It was for like uh I, I'm sure as you know, high schoolers, they have the senior week and they have the days where you do like pajama day, da, da, da. So it was a tacky day where you just had to come in or mismatch day or whatever like that. And so I was just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cut these socks and it's the top of the sock. So I like, you know how the top of the socks have the ribbing. So I like cut the, the sock and like put it on my hand, like a, like a wristband mm-hmm. and just like rocked it as a, as a wristband and I and I carried into freshman year and people would be like, that is so weird. But then there were a few people who started to do it. So yes. I was a Yeah, first first the socks and then Lynn Manuel. I mean it just feels like everyone starts stealing. Um tell me about that color purple the musical audition. Okay, so NYU and I'm and I don't know if uh, how, how many other I'm sure there are a lot of other theater schools who who um, do this too, but they didn't like you auditioning like in the world. They like you to mm-hmm. like be immersed in the training. And me, I'm also very anti. So I was like, no, like I'm going to audition. Like this is why I came here to do again, going back to, I like to do the thing, to do the thing. And so I was just like, so I like left class to go to the Color Purple audition just because I was like, I'm going to show them like, you know, like I'm going to be on Broadway before my before I get my BFA. <laughs> and so I went to this like ECC where we had to do, it was like 16 bars and you had to do like RB or like I was on. And I, I did, I tried to do Stevie Wonder because everyone, because they, because a friend of mine who was in the show was just like, they love to, like, if you're a tenor, they really want to hear your tenor. And so I went in there. I don't know who I thought I was. I didn't warm up. I just was like, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to like, you know, sing with passion Oh, yeah. It was so bad, and the and the music director just looked at me and was just like, "How old are you?" And I was like, "Nineteen." <laughs> and she was like, "Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you." And I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> it was so bad. But um, follow rules in school, everyone. Follow rules in school. I just was a very, I was just very anti, just because what I because also. What I didn't want was to graduate and not know how to audition because mm-hmm. there are a lot of 
theater schools, which I think it needs to change. And I want to be an advocate of this. I'm going to say this on this podcast. Mm. Y'all need to prepare people for the real world. And I think mm. a lot of theater schools and training don't do that. Really let people know how to... It's it's great to know the training and know how to get into the, the characters and the craft and all that. But we you also have to know how to book the job. Mm. And so for me, I realized that NYU wasn't big on that. So I was like, well, since I'm here... Might as well get my, <laughs> might as well get Roll my practice. On one up. <laughs> see if I can hit these notes. Let's see, see what I happens. Hit these notes and see what happens. I'm going to shout out yeah. someone else, another one of our TPAP friends who is a voice teacher. And she has told me in the past, and she just says this to people, and I'm sure it's true for real people. But she says, you can hit your highest notes first thing in the morning. Like there's some, you can screlt and hit your lowest notes. But like whatever the whistle tones are only available what? to you first thing in the morning. And I have never found that to be the case. About Anytime say, I've <laughs> tried, I get no sound. I get no sound. It's literally just air. Uh, Are you <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah just, no, no, no. And every time I go, Zito? No. I'm sure it's right. I'm sure it's true for people who know how to sing. I'm just not one of those people, so it's fine. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's maybe switch to, you've now graduated from NYU. So you're uh-huh. 22, 23. You're feeling good. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about navigating that time. Um, and I know specifically you had the, the, we can even get into the journey of what it was like in NYC and then what the mm-hmm. LA situation was like as you moved into LA. Maybe let's start with yeah. right out of school, what that felt like for you. Oh, right out of school, it was, it was very much about just doing the thing, you know, auditioning for all the stuff, doing the thing. And also being in New York City, it was just like, all right, well, I don't have the sort of safety net that is, school anymore so it was about how like finding the job finding the job that also allows you to audition you know what i'm saying because that's also a big thing too um and finding the right job for me because uh waiting tables was not that's not in my ministry like i I did it for two hours and someone gave me attitude and i was like oh yeah this isn't no 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 no. I, i can't do this so i had to find i had to find a job that that fit me you know and but also was flexible and i think That for me was the biggest thing coming out of school was like, okay, how do I do the thing, you know? Um, And then that getting into the sort of grind that is auditioning, especially in musical theater, you know, for theater period, musical theater or plays. It's like, there is a grind. There is a signing up for EPAs, ECCs, waiting at the equity building, waiting. And especially if you're non-ec too, oh my God, don't even get me started. Like Mm. I was blessed enough to like have my equity card, you know, fairly early. So it was easier for me than some of my friends but like that non-egg grind like waking up at four in the morning to get there get on the list and the list is unofficial so the monitor doesn't you know <laughs> doesn't validate the list because it's you know it's just it was it was one of those things where I tell people once you graduate just being just that first year after graduation when you're doing the thing and auditioning is going to let you know if you really want to do this or not <laughs> because it is it is a tough road, you know, and and rare are the stories of like coming straight out of school and, you know, going to your first auditioning and being a Broadway star, starlet. Like it's it's rare. It happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it the the the, the sort of like majority of the journey is you have to put in work and you have to, you know, go there. So like after school, it was just like auditioning a lot and then like doing regional stuff, you know, booking a lot of regional stuff and then started booking some off-Broadway things and um and and still steady, you know, hoping to go to hoping to shoot for the stars, which is Broadway, and like auditioning for those. And and I think for me, I tell people like that was my sort of like journey and like uh day-to-day grind for about three to four years, you know, three years after school. And then I and then my sort of like my dreams and goals changed. And I tell people like, you know, I felt like my life opened up and my artistry opened up and my dreams opened up when I realized that, you know, my dreams were bigger than an eight block radius. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And I feel mm-hmm. like some people, they, when I feel like Broadway is huge and it is huge and it is monumental, but also there's so much more, you know, that artists and theater artists can do than Broadway. You know, and I think I realized that I realized like, oh, I for for years from high school to now, like Broadway was be all end all. And once I realized, especially like once I had 
once you know people who's on Broadway or know people who do it, you realize the, the allure sort of starts to go away because you realize how they talk about it. And they're just like, yeah, it's great, but it's like, not all that. You know what I'm saying? And you'd be like, wait, what? Like you're doing the thing eight shows a week. And it's like, it's it has to be a dream come true. And literally everybody who I know who's been on Broadway, who has done the thing is like, it's great for like the first month. <laughs> and then you're like, okay. <laughs> you know? And for me, it was like, it, but again, it's not even to say that that's a bad thing, but it's just like putting everything in perspective. Because when you're young and naive me, I'm just like, this is it. Like, once you do that, then that's it. And I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, you know? And then realizing like, no, you can do that. And then there's also so many other things that you can do, you know, whether that's film, whether it's TV, whether it's writing, whether it's producing, whether that's, you know, designing. Like, there's so there's so many things that you can do that are still under the umbrella of this sort of goal or dream that mm-hmm. people have. Um, and so after school, I just realized that and started to make that transition to like film and TV um, by moving to LA and like just fought, because for me, I'm also in the state of mind where it's just like, you know, you only live life this way once. So why not go for it? You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. why not try the thing? And LA was a leap of faith for me, but because I also knew that, if LA didn't work out, I could always come back to New York because New York is a city where it's once you learn it, once you know it, once it's in your bones, you can always do it like mm-hmm. that. Like I know I knew what that life was like. And so I tell people because I have a lot of people who ask me, you know, like New York, or LA, New York, or LA, New York, or LA. And I'm like, it really depends on what you want to do. You know, like for me, I'm so glad I went to New York first and then came to L.A. and not vice versa, because I feel like New York just made me the person that I am and the artist that I am, which made me even more confident coming to L.A., you know. Um, But I think it's just about truly discovering who you are as an artist and what you want and and sort of like balancing the the 17 year old dreams with like the 25, 26 year old dreams because they because they're different. They change and they morph. Mm -hmm. And it's. And it's and it's rare that you know, at, when you're when you go from seventeen to to even twenty seven, that the dream is still the same. It ha- mm-hmm. it's just the the way of life. Like it just it just morphs into something else. You know, it's so true. And it's a I mean, we talk about that in the college process, even just in six months or a year of how it can change. But the bravery of acknowledging I, I want something different than what seventeen yeah. year old me wanted, or than twenty five yeah. year old me then, or than thirty five <laughs> right. year old me wanted. I mean, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, there's a bravery to go, yeah, that's okay. I'm shifting. It yeah. doesn't mean I failed my previous self just because I'm exactly. saying I want something different now. Yeah. Um, not to keep getting deep and dark, but I would love to go and flash forward to maybe one of those low points in LA, um, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people, especially people who are writers, um, yeah. are going to have, where you've yeah. moved to LA, you feel like you've made this huge mistake, I'm sure, because you know all <laughs> yeah. the work you're booking in, theater, in New York is gone, right? Yep. And now you're writing and you're figuring it out. And I, I guess mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about like in those moments, how did you stay motivated? Cause you did, obviously you stayed motivated enough to write and to, yeah. you know, make it through those troughs to now this real, uh, moments of real success. How did that happen? Yeah. What did you do? How did you keep yourself inspired in those, those difficult dark moments? Oh yeah. I mean, coming to LA, it, it definitely was, I had to start over because all of my work and even all of my reps and stuff were New York based. So it was like, I, I, it was like, I've truly had to start from scratch and it feels like that, you know? So when I first moved that first year or two was just like really building yourself from the ground up and like getting in the right rooms. And, and so for me, the thing that kept me motivated, that kept me sort of sane was the work, was diving into the writing, was, you know, also being surrounded by, you know, people who inspire you, people who pour into you. Um, Cause I think having, having a, a great tribe is also a thing that I think gets people through the low times and, mm-hmm. and keeps people motivated. Um, but it was like, you know, in during those times when it's not busy, when you, when you're not like having meetings or when you're not auditioning or when you're, you know, when the phone isn't ringing, it's like, that's when you, I feel, and that's sort of what I did was like, I really leaned into working on my craft, 
working and getting better so that when those calls start happening, when those auditions start happening, you're ready. You know, you, it's not like you've just been sitting here. You've been mm-hmm. sitting here, but you've been doing work so that when the opportunity comes, you're prepared. You know, oper- opportunity means preparation equals success, you know. So um, I think that it but it's but again, it's easier said than done, you know, but it is I'd say that I say that because especially out here in L.A. and what I love about L.A. is that that each opportunity could be a life changing moment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what's so beautiful about L.A. is that, like, every, any audition, any meeting could be the thing that changes your life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's what sort of really made my life and sort of, like, opened up my eyes about L.A. when I came to visit before I moved. I was like, anything is possible out here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, anything, like, literally, mm-hmm. like, anything is possible, you know? And so that sort of um, energy and that sort of mindset also kept me motivated because I was like, when that opportunity comes, when that thing comes, I want to be ready. You know, I want to say, yes, I have that sample script. Yes, I have a monologue. Yes, I have a scene. Yes, I have whatever, you know, ready so that when that opportunity comes, it's not like, oh, no, I got to let me work on it. Let me, I got to finish mm-hmm. this draft. It's like, no, you got to be prepared, you know. And I think that's even more for L.A. because L.A. is that type of town where you'll meet someone at an event or you'll meet someone at someone's house who's an exec or a director or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And then you say you're a writer and they'll be like, oh, great. What do you write? I write this. Oh, great. Send me your stuff. Oh, OK. Uh I gotta, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you have to be like, sure. What's your email? Like it can't be like, oh, I'm this. I'm just working on a little something because then you miss your opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think, you know, in those in those lower points, I realized like, okay, instead of focusing on the low or feeling like I'm not doing the thing, let me just prepare myself for when the stuff starts happening because it will. And I tell people it's a it's a you know it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like you, it it takes. I, you know, there's that old saying, it takes 10 years to be an overnight sensation, you know, and that's that's just the reality for most actors. You know, like you you won't get your due. You won't get your flowers until you're 15, 16 years into the game. And then everyone's like newcomer Devere Rogers. And I'll be like, newcomer. newcomer. I've been out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. You know? I, and I love that quote. I, I made you say it like three times last time. I was like, what? yeah, he's an overnight, 10-year overnight success. I, I love that quote <laughs> exactly. so much. I, I also love that you were ready with the success plus talent. I tried to do that. I was one of, the, one of our guests. I was trying to be like, oh, yeah, and then preparation plus success equals, oh, no. And there was like a greater than equal sign in there, and I like messed it up. I didn't have the equation. I wasn't ready, but you were ready with it. You were like, I'm dropping this talent plus preparation plus opportunity plus uh-huh. mixing the dash of salt. You, were, you had uh-huh. it. You know, a little salt in there, you know, equals success. <laughs> Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, specifically that kind of multi-hyphen life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think for some of our, our younger students, they may not be used to, to hearing the, those phrases or that idea of, of having multiple artistic pursuits yeah. that you're kind of doing at once. Um, was there a moment ever where you felt like afraid of the, of the hyphens in terms of like, I don't want to tell someone I'm a writer instead of an actor because I want to be in this movie. I don't want you to think yeah, I oh, yeah, should be yeah, writing yeah. a movie. Or, you know, did you, yeah, is that interesting I, for you? Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's a huge thing. And again, I think, I think honestly, when I came out here, it was definitely told to me you have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, it's like either you're an actor or you're a writer or like either you're a writer or you're a director or like, either, you know what I'm saying? Like, you couldn't be mm-hmm. a writer-director. Like, you couldn't be an actor-writer. Like, you had to, like, choose. And again, as I said earlier, I'm very anti. And I was like, no, I'm not choosing. <laughs> you know, like, I can do both, you know? <laughs> but I think also, too, what makes it easier for multi-hyphen is now is because you have, you've seen it in so many people. You've seen it in, like, the Donald Glovers, the Issa Rays, the Rami, Aziz, Danzari. Like, you see these these sort of hyphenates that are doing the thing, they're acting in the thing, they're writing the thing, they're producing the thing, they're directing the thing. And so it seems more, you know, feasible, more possible. Whereas in like 10 and even 15 years ago, they, people really tried to make you feel like you had to choose, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think for me, when you are, uh, 
a hyphenate. I think it's actually now, especially in today's day and age, and especially after the pandemic and everything, like it's people's superpower. It's your superpower if you can do more than one thing. And mm-hmm. honestly, a lot of people, especially in Hollywood, are expecting you to do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, especially especially if you're like having general meetings or having things, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're meeting cast directors as as uh, an actor, they're going to ask you, so do you do anything else? Do you write, you know, like, because there are, there are actors who also are in writer's rooms for the show that they're acting in. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's like they want to they want to make sure that you're as well-rounded as possible because there are also people out there who who are just like, that's not my ministry. I don't write. I just act. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have an inkling or have a feeling like there's a story that you want to tell or there is a character that's in you, I'm always like, just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you never know what that will lead to because it, it really can change your life. Your one, you know, inkling of a thought and you just write one little scene can turn into the next hit show. Right. And then some, someone else steals it and it's Hamilton. I mean, that's and exactly, exactly, Lynn. Yeah. I'm coming for you, Lynn. So I'm just saying. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, I'd love to ask about, because I'm always curious um, with people who, especially people who are active writers and active actors in the way that you mm-hmm. really are, are actively doing both. Um, when you're creating something, are you thinking about parts that you're going to play in it? And like, are you writing, I'd be really good in this role? Like, are you writing for yourself or are you writing it and then letting yourself in? It? You know what's so, I tell people, I tell people that um, I'm, I feel like I'm sometimes the anomaly because a lot of, at least actor writers I know write for themselves and I'm the opposite. Like, I don't like to write for myself. I just want to make sure that I always just tell the most authentic story possible. And if somebody does it better than me, I want that person to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's your just, story. I want, who's it's, tell exactly. Best? You know, like whoever can tell it the best. Like, and so I think that's always where I write from. I tell people like, you know, and talking to other, my actor writer friends, like it brings me just as much joy and just as much pure uh, happiness to see someone else say the words that I wrote than to, say the words that I wrote, you know, or to, to be in the thing, like to just know that like, it's getting out into the world with these great actors. It's a script that I wrote. It's a script that's good. Like for me, that is just as um, powerful and just as meaningful than to be doing it myself. So mostly everything that I write, I don't put myself in, except there I'm working on this show with FX. I'm in that because I'm co-wrote it with my best friend, Trace Lissette, and she basically said she wouldn't do it without me. So I was like, well, I guess I'll, I'll be in Fine, it. I'll star in a TV fine, show. Fine, I'll star in a TV show. It's fine, you know. Um, I write, like, a lot of stuff I write, I write specifically for, like, you know, actor friends who I think are so talented who haven't gotten their shot yet, who haven't gotten their chance, you know, like... That's another motivation for me to be like, y'all, I'm gonna write you a role in this because I, because I, people just need to see you do your thing, you know. Mm. And and again, that's that's a lot about how Hollywood works too, you know. Like that's how a lot of people get breaks is like knowing the people who have the connections, who have the thing to be like, hey, Charlie, I got a little something for you. You want to come and <laughs> you? I, I bought you just from this? Just, just from talking. Just from talking, Mom, Mom, I to, <laughs> Mom I'll call you later. I'm sorry, I'm booking. I have a booking. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, you know, that moment of, the, you know, when real success or real financial success or real potentially this mm-hmm. thing is going to be a movie or going to be a TV show in, in a real, yeah. you know, um, large scale Hollywood way. Mm-hmm. How does that affect the creative process for you? So do you, have you ever found yourself going, well, I was going to tell this story, but now I think this is going to hit this thing. And so now it's, how, oh, does, so how does the money influence it all, I guess? That is a great question. So the money, I think, well, first of all, the money, money is always great. It's always good when you, <laughs> you know, when you, you got a little cushion, it's always good. But mm-hmm. honestly, I would say the bigger the project, what I've realized even in working with networks and things like that. It's honestly uh, more, it becomes more chefs in the kitchen, you know? So it becomes, it becomes uh, more than just like, I want to do, I wrote this great thing that I love and my friends are going to shoot to like, no, this show, this episode costs $2.5 million and there's 12 people who want to make sure that this $2.5 million is, is being used right and is going mm-hmm. to get them you know, 10 times that, you know, so it becomes, it becomes a thing where, you know, the true, the true art of compromise and collaboration 
comes into play when you have big money involved because you're not the one paying for it. There's someone else paying for it. You know, whereas in like if you wrote your own short or wrote your own thing that you're doing yourself, then you can do whatever the hell you want to do. But when you have to meet certain quotas and be aligned with certain people's interests and also Mm -hmm. certain people's brands, because every network has their own brand, Mm -hmm. you it becomes a thing of like, okay, so how do I tell this story that's authentic to me, that's real to me in the way that this network or studio or financier feels comfortable that works for their brand? You know, Mm -hmm. like it's about it becomes more about like the compromise of it all than I mean, the story, of course, is still very important, but it's just like, how do I tell this story in through this lens now? Yes. You know, does it, is it sanitizing it? Is it taking the risks out? Like, where I do you mean, feel like the influence of like, what are you resisting as you feel? You I know, mean, those 12 voices I think it? honestly, sometimes it can be sanitizing it sometimes because when you get to a certain level, whether that's a um, network, whether that's a feature film, like that's in movie theaters, or whatever like that you ultimately those people want to reach as many people as possible right Mm -hmm. so it's like you can't just write for a specific audience you have to even if it's a specific story you know people all over the world have to connect with the specificity of your story and so i think that's where it comes into of like you you have to start changing your mindset like i have this very specific story but because we want, you know, the people in South Dakota and the people in Istanbul to love it. How can I write it in a way that they can identify with the story and the characters as people in their own lives? So for me, is what I've come across, especially, you know, being, a, you know, an artist of color. It's like you want to be true to who you are and your experience, but also you want people to understand and also see you and your experience in their lives as well. You know, so it's just like finding the balance when it when when you get to that level, it's a, you really do have to find the balance. And that's with any show. That's with any, you know, whether that's TV, whether that's film, whether that's Broadway, whether it's whatever you want to reach as many people as possible. And I think that's when the money when the money, big money comes in. That's what you're sort of like juggling. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Um, you've segued us perfectly to, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about how the industry is changing um, in this year of 2021, especially after mm-hmm. a, a crazy pandemic year, and then also a year of uh, real demand for kind of racial equity um, yeah. in the business. How have you felt the LA producing world reacting differently in 2020? And, and especially maybe for our young students of color who might be listening, is there anything they can glean from um, how the world hopefully will look different or has looked different um, in your experience? Yeah, I would say uh, the beautiful thing is, is that Hollywood, especially in L.A., can no longer say that they didn't know they had a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's it, they can't hide behind the well, we didn't know. No, everyone knows now, you know, and I think because everyone knows now that they are trying to be better. We still have a long way to go. Let's be very clear. Mm-hmm. but. People are trying to be better of like listening to and honoring and putting money behind other people's experiences, you know. And so we're not just seeing, you know, cis, hetero, you know, white men and women, you know, do every situation under the sun and watch, you know, people of color or queer people do the same thing in every, you know, in everything. Like we're like now we're in a space where I think people and especially with these with the this young generation and the TikTok era like people want to see themselves on TV or in movies mm-hmm. like people want to see people that look like them that they can identify with and i think that hollywood and these studios are becoming hip to that so it's like for the young students of color the young you know queer students it's like this is this is y'all's time to really shine because people want People are and also people are writing for for us. People are writing for them, you know. And stories are being greenlit. Things are being made now that wasn't being made not even ten years ago, not even five years ago. Mm-hmm. Some of these stories weren't being greenlit and made. So it's like now is the time to really do the thing. And that's what. And also to sort of talk about the hyphenate thing. If you have a story that you want to tell, now is the time to write it because now is your it's even more likely for you to sell it. It's even more likely for it to get made because people, again, want to see themselves. And Hollywood is yearning for different experiences and yearning for different content now. And especially after, you know, the pandemic year, they're yearning for they need shows. They need, mm-hmm. you know, they need stuff all the time now. So um, 
the industry is definitely changing for the better. We still have a long way to go as far as when it comes to like pay equity with women and, you know, things like that. Like we still have a long way to go. But I think the good thing is that, you know, the industry can no longer turn a blind eye. They can no longer say, you know, oh, we didn't know that it was a problem, you know, which is which I think is good because it's sort of making people be held accountable. And like, you know, um, accountability is becoming more common now than mm. than not. It's so true. I feel like that is such a credit, I think, to our young artists. So like it really is. It feels like the young people graduating from school come out with an idea of I'm we are going to hold the industry accountable in yeah. a way that like. I feel like our generation just maybe was trying to, but didn't have the numbers or whatever it is and didn't have the the tools in terms of social mm-hmm. media and things to, yeah. to hold accountable in the same way. But, yeah. you know, I see our students who graduate from school who just have, it's just like, of course I'm going to do that. That's the industry that I've graduated into. And that's what I expect. Yeah. Um, it's really inspirational. Devere, I just thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else that you wanted to plug? Of, the, of course, we're going to see you in this upcoming pilot. We'll see you anytime we turn on a basketball game on. Oh uh, God! Commercial. Um, what? And what else do we need to, to see you in or let's check see. out? Um, oh, uh, so season two of Sherman Showcase will be coming in the fall, which is going to be better, exciting. Better. You can catch that on Hulu. And I just uh, shot an episode of this new Apple TV show called Astro with. Um, uh, Rita Moreno, which was uh, amazing. Um, mm. And that'll be coming out in the fall as well. So, yeah. I love it. All right. So we'll have all that in the show notes for people. And also we'll have, it seems like the apps that we could find for you are, it's Devere Rogers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Is that right? On Is Instagram, there any other yeah. apps or tags we should get you at? Um, it's Devere Rogers on Instagram and just at Devere Rogers on Twitter. I... I'm not a social media person. So like mm-hmm. I don't post often. I only think I do is like for work purposes. Um, also too, like if you could do, if I, I want to say this because I feel like people don't talk about it. If you're good at social media and that's what you like to do, do social media. Do not feel like you have to do it to be successful in the industry. That is a false narrative. That is mm. a lie. So just had to say that because I, because I feel like a lot of people say different things about it. But as someone who doesn't do social media, I'm very blessed and doing very well without it. So, heck yes. Heck yes. <laughs> all right. We'll still tag him, even though he won't. Yeah, you know, still tag me. Still I mean, at him and yeah, yeah, yeah. Smiley still face at him. And, you know, do you know, all, all the things, things, you know, but I'm just, I just wanted to say that out loud, you know. Uh, 100%. Because it's, it's a crazy part of this business for sure. Yeah. Um, Devere, thank you so much for the time to get. It was so awesome seeing you, man. Oh, so great seeing you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Devere as much as I did. I just think he's the bee's knees, as the kids would say. You know, the kids are always saying about bees and knees. Um, I just want to take a second and do a little bit of a deep dive into this conversation we're having about changing dreams. Um, or if you're putting that in Charlie's specific language, it might be about how your artistic mission statement is changing. Um, certainly in the college process, we'll talk about it that way. But also, I think just as an artist in life of what you want to do, this is the thing that that makes me tick. This is the thing that, that sort of keeps me working. Um, you heard me say in the episode about kind of the bravery of letting your dreams change. And I think sometimes that can sound a little odd to people, especially young people, um, in terms of why would that be brave? Um, I think it can be really hard, especially in your young 20s, late 20s, maybe even early 30s, that you're going to feel like you're a failure somehow if you're not living up to the dreams of your previous self. Like you're giving up something because now I might want this and I might not be as focused on this other thing, um, specifically often a career in acting. Or Devere brought up that idea of Broadway and the eight block radius of, of what that is. And to potentially be giving that up feels like a failure to your previous self. Um, I think that's really natural that it feels that way. But I do think it's worth investigating and questioning that impulse in terms of why would you rigidly hold on to a past version of yourself that's no longer relevant to who you are now? Um, in the college audition world, often this this switch is like a discipline switch. So maybe it's, I was going to do musical theater and I'm going to do acting or I'm going to do vocal performance or dance, you know, maybe, maybe a, uh, that kind of switch. Um, but sometimes it's also a student who, who thought, I want to go to this really competitive BFA environment. And then now I'm realizing I actually do have other interests and maybe I'm, I'm not ready for that conservatory style feel, for instance. Um, 
as we graduate, I think that conversation often becomes about some of the things Devere and I were talking about today. So some of those other slashes that you might take on, whether it's a side job or a, another potential um, actual career. So, you know, for some people it's, if I start teaching, am I more of a teacher than I am an actor? Um, or if, you know, I wanted to start a baking business, does that now are people going to think I'm a baker? I'm not an actor anymore. Um, what if I try to do be a graphic designer? What if I try, you know, this, these other things, will that pull away from, you know, the capital A actor uh, that I've tried to lead with? Um, and that certainly is also true about, you know, whether you get into casting, whether you get into, you want to be an agent or a manager or a writer or a director, you know, some of those things more fluidly go together than other things, but all of them can be really scary because you feel like, does it mean I'll never act again? Um, and I think Devere is such a beautiful example. I mean, it's lucky in his case that he's both a really successful writer and a really successful actor in and of themselves and together. Um, but I think even in a moment where that might not happen, where you are saying, I might let this thing shift from how it was before. I think it's just worth investigating and asking yourself, what is that voice that I'm listening to that's really afraid or that would be disappointed in myself because I'm making that shift? If your heart right now is telling you, I want this thing, you know, why not leap at it? Uh, and it's worth just checking in. Is, is that just old baggage that's holding me back versus um, a potential exciting new opportunity that I could go find? Well, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you were to rate and review us where you found us. We love a five-star rating if you can find it in your heart to give it to us. Uh, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com, and we'll try to answer a few of them on the show each week. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual preparation for your college edition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeeditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, do not forget to do the thing. I'll see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.